risen. Amen. Amen. Hey, look at somebody and say, it's good to see you. Don't lie to them like you did last week, all right? Mean it this time. Hey, we're so glad that you're here at Crossroads Church. My name's Sam. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's my great privilege that every time I take the platform, I try to tell the greatest story ever told. Now, hold on. Not because I'm some great communicator or it's even my story, but I believe this story is a story about Jesus, and Jesus is the greatest person to ever walk the face of the planet. I actually believe he's more than just a person. I believe he's God in the flesh. And so if you've ever asked the question, what is God like? You don't have to look any further than the person of Jesus. And we believe the Bible is this story about Jesus. We say this around here. We say it's all about Jesus. Jesus. We wrote it on the wall if you need some help. All right. And so what that means is you're going to need a Bible to follow along. And so if you forgot your Bible, we got you covered. You can just slip up your hand and one of our ushers will get a Bible to you, help you follow along today. And then if you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. We pray that you read it every single day because every time you do, you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, let me try that again. Every time you read the Bible, you you get to meet with Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's better. And if you start there, you'll be better off when you read the Bible. Uh, so, hey, we've been in this, um, well, we're, we finished up a series, and now we're starting a new series in the Gospel of John today. And so I want you to turn in your Bible to the Gospel of John. And so if you're new, new to the Bible, it's in the New Testament, so two-thirds way into the book. It, you can kind of start in the left and turn um, right, or start in the right and turn left, and you'll find it much faster. Uh, it's in the New Testament. It starts with the guy's names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then there's John. And so we're going to be in the book of John for the next seven years. And uh, I don't know whose idea this was. It was Joe's. And, uh, and so uh, I, I want to start. Maybe, maybe you assume we're starting this new book. And, and here's what we do every single week. We tell Jesus stories, not just on Easter, every single week. We think it's important to tell Jesus stories. And, and so the Bible tells us this story about Jesus. So it, what we do is we go through books of the Bible here. And what, what that does is it allows the scriptures to dictate or drive our theology where we're going. And not the pizza I had last night, right? Uh, don't worry, I didn't have pizza last night. I knew I had a speaking gig the next day, right? Uh, and, and so uh, I, I, what I want to do is help us go through uh, books that help uh, drive us and settle us and just begin to uh, give us a foundation of who Jesus is, what he did, and what that means for you and I. And so we want to start this gospel, the book of John, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to start like a movie that shows you the end of the movie first and then backs up. So we're going to start in John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. So I want you to flip to, although we're starting a book, I want, I want you to flip to the end of this particular book. And you'll see why in just a moment. Look at John chapter 20, starting in verse 30. And you can say amen when you're there. I hear pages turn. Some of you were not honest about that. Uh, uh, Verse 30 says, 
And now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. What, what a way to uh, put that. Hey, there, there's other things that could be said. Uh, one uh, verse will tell us that man, the, the world couldn't contain all the books that would be written if all the Jesus stories were told. But he says, what's written in this? He says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe. That's the title of our series that's going to carry us through the book of John. The stories in the book of John are so that you may believe. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Will you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for who you are and who you are to us. I ask for your grace today that you would help us look at this particular book. Let it challenge us. Let it exhort us. And let everything we say and do bring glory to you and good to this valley. And everyone said... Amen. See, John gives us the, the purpose of this particular book. And, and, and he wants to, to deal with your belief system. He wants to talk, but not only to your head, he wants to speak to your heart. He wants to move it from, from your mind 18 inches into your heart where you actually make decisions. What do I mean by that? Think, think about how you make decisions. Think think about all the things that you do. Are they always logical? Don't look at him. Don't look at him. That's rude, right? Right. Is it always logical? No, oftentimes what what we've learned scientifically is people make decisions not with their head, but with their heart. Some people refer to that as their gut. If you were actually to survey the top CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, you go like, what what is your trick? What's the secret sauce? And they're like, I listen to my gut, right? Uh, Like I, I go from the heart. A lot of times our instinct is why we make the decisions that we do. Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why, where he talks about the best companies and their advertising and how they appeal to those things, your gut, your heart, and that you make these types of decisions. The Bible says it this way, as a man believes in his heart, so he shall be. The what you think in your deepest parts of who you are will determine the trajectory of your life. And and so what I want to deal with this morning is, is John says there's a lot of facts, there's a lot of evidence, there's a lot of things that I could write, but I write these things that you may believe and that you may have life. Not just head knowledge and facts, but you actually can believe that Jesus is who he says that he is. And, And see, everyone's talking about Jesus. Everyone has facts about Jesus. You quickly over the past few weeks, if you're flipping through the channels on the History Channel or even on CNN after the news goes up, there are going to be documentaries full of Jesus stories. Do you know the Bible actually predicted that Jesus would become the most famous person in human history? 
You don't believe me? You, you, uh, people oftentimes, and, and it's kind of a, a, a non-argument when people talk about the historicity of Christ, that there are, there are more facts and evidence that Jesus existed than you exist. Just Google Jesus and Google you, and he wins every time, all right? If, if you're confused about how that should go. See, there are more songs that have been sung, more books, books written, and more people have congregated around this one person than any other person in human history. And Philippians, the Apostle Paul writes and predicts this. He actually says that God has given Jesus, because of what Jesus has done, God has given Jesus a name which is above every other name, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Eventually, everyone will be aware. Eventually, everyone will see just who Jesus is. And maybe, maybe you grew up in church, you were, you were, you were a Bible baby, you're a felt board kid, and, and like maybe that, that's just normal verbiage for you. Maybe you come to Easter service and, and you're ready for that statement. Or maybe you were invited to the service and, and, and you're trying to like figure out, man, where am I at with this whole Jesus thing. Eventually, you will have to make a decision. Where does Jesus fall in the category for you? C.S. Lewis made an argument famous that we all will have to put Jesus in one of three places. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. And even that statement, and we're going to deal with these different categories as we go. See, oftentimes I, I hear people and I talk with people that are outside of the church and good friends that will say to me very quickly, Sam, you know I'm a fan of Jesus. You, you know I'm a fan of Jesus. Like, like, like I love the words of Jesus. Do you know that Mahatma Gandhi even was a fan of Jesus? He says, I love your Jesus. I just don't understand your Christians. And what he begins to talk about, maybe you quickly go, yeah, you know, because he believes that Christians who follow Jesus yet look nothing like Jesus, that's incompatible. But, but even, even, uh, even, uh, Mahatma Gandhi would be criticized of being hypocritical in saying one thing and doing another. You can find stories where oftentimes what we believe or what we say doesn't always line up with what we do. How about you, right? It's just, just me. See, if, 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 if Mahatma Gandhi understood Jesus and what he's done, he would understand that Jesus' people are a bunch of sinners who are saved by the work of Jesus. Are you with me? Someone say amen, amen. to that. See, the incongruent nature, and, and here's the reality. Maybe that's been your frustrating part. Like, yeah, those church people, they're all hypocritical. Like, well, have you met the pastor? Right? Uh, you know, listen, the reality is, is if I'm the best Christian in the room, we're all in trouble friend, okay? I'm just going to tell you, because the reality is, is you could follow me around for 15 minutes, and I'm liable to frustrate you, and you're like, that's, that's about right, you know? Uh, but you could follow Jesus around for all of eternity, and he would never, ever let you down, See, my friends who say, Jesus, I'm a, I'm a fan of Jesus, and, or maybe I think Jesus is a good person, the problem with that is Jesus just doesn't give you room to just label him a good teacher or a good person because of the things he said. 
See, that same person even asked me when he's talking about the Bible and he knows I'm a pastor. He's like, yeah, but you don't believe, he knows Easter's coming up. He's like, you don't believe in the Bible literally, do you? And like literal resurrection. I go, actually, I absolutely do. See, actually, I think there's, there's overwhelming evidence to suggest that Jesus actually raised from the dead. And, and maybe you're quick to go, what do you, what do you mean evidence? There's no scientific facts around Jesus. Well, well, here, here's the reality. When, when you talk about proving something, we're talking about the burden of proof. We're familiar with this in a court of law. The, and then we use facts and evidence to give a burden of proof to, uh, in, in our system to give beyond a reasonable doubt that something happens. And we seem to accept that type of system as a good system for proving something. Yep, but let's be honest, when it comes to facts, uh, people on both sides of the case, the defense and the prosecutors, will use the exact same facts or evidence and suggest different outcomes with the same evidence, R right? For instance, so, so what happens is, is the facts can actually point to something that's actually untrue. Like, 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 for instance, it's true and factual that that glove didn't fit, but we all know, right? <laughs> just gonna, just gonna, just gonna, just gonna set that right there and walk away. <laughs> right? Because sometimes we may have evidence or facts, but it's up to the interpretation. And at one time, that glove could have fit, friend. And, and so the reality is, is we have to take all of the evidence and, and begin to examine it ourselves and wrestle with it. My job is to help you with Jesus stories or present the facts and the evidence. And it's up to you and the jury of your heart beyond a reasonable doubt. Did Jesus actually die and bodily raise from the dead and if he did that changes everything friend because you have to answer one you have to answer four questions basically in your life as a worldview and how you see things and pastor mason in our online campus on good friday talked about this very thing how we see things is so important and how we interact with them the reality is is you have to answer four questions in your life you have to answer questions of origin how did i get here you have to answer questions of meaning why am I here? And if you're quick to scan the bottomless pit that is social media, and the Bible predicted a bottomless pit, and I'm going to tell you, it might be it, but uh, have you ever seen the bottom of it? I've never seen the bottom of it, right? Unless you're buffering, right? You know? Uh, right? Everyone's trying to propagate why. And try to answer for you why. And you get a self-help and you get a great influencer and an Instagram profile and you can get all that stuff and you can begin to try to answer why. But then once we get past why, why begins to feel what? What's true? What's good? What's evil? I mean, we're all asking those types of questions. How, how do I think about morality? And then ultimately, all of those things, when, when I get to the end of all this, when everything's said and done and I breathe, breathe my last, where is this whole thing going? 
See, you as an individual, not just us as a church, you as an individual have to wrestle with these four questions. Where did we come from? Why am I here? What am I doing while I'm here? And where is this whole thing going? I mean, you have to wrestle deeply with that. And as you're beginning to wrestle with these questions, you have to wrestle with the burden of proof that right in the middle of this thing, there are people who claim that they saw a man raised from the dead and he claimed to be God in the flesh. And that changes how I look at everything. Are you with me? Someone say amen to that. You have to wrestle as you answer these questions. Is it true so for just for a moment, I want to deal with the evidence around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then I want to shift from talking to your head to maybe appealing to the affections of your heart. See, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul gives us one of the best kind of segments and, and, and kind of um, creeds for understanding the resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15 uh, says... This here in verse 3, he, he goes in sequence logically. And then he says, I, I'm going I'm to suggest that, that Christ raised from the dead. He's going to put that, that forward as proof. He's saying this is true, and if it's not, then everything else that I've said, every bit of morality, every bit of meaning, every teaching we've done on the origin of man and where we came from, all of it is in vain if Christ has not been raised. He stakes the entire thing on this one deal. If he was building a house of cards and this was not true, this was merely an idea, they hid the body to propagate this ideology, all you would have to do is find the body. All you would have to do is present an overwhelming burden of proof that he did not raise from the dead. But Paul stakes his claim. Everything that he, is, he, he says, everything that he teaches in these categories, he says, if Christ has not been raised, then all of this is a house of cards and it tumbles down. And he starts this off and he says, listen, there's good evidence. There's good proof. There is more logic to suggest that Christ raised from the dead than not. And 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 3, is one of these things that, that you want to look at, you want to study, you want to consider, you want to wrestle with the text. And, and here's what we say around here at Crossroads Church. If you wrestle with the text, you wrestle with these tough ideas, you wrestle with the reality of Jesus, if we fight well, others will win. Amen? If we fight hard to know what we believe, we fight hard to be convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that Christ is who he says he is. And then we fight to own that. We fight to live that. Other people will see your good works and they will glorify God who is in heaven. Verse 3 of uh, 1 Corinthians 15 says, for I delivered to you as of first importance this is the first thing. You've got to know this beyond do's and don'ts, beyond the, doing the right stuff and saying the right stuff and having all the rituals together. This is of first importance. What I also receive, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture. Notice what he starts with. He starts with the cross. Then he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day accord, with accordance to Scripture. And then he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the 12, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time. One credible eyewitness can convict you in a court of law. 
And he says, Peter saw him, the 12 saw him, more than 500 people saw him raised from the dead, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. You don't want to take note of that, the half-brother of Jesus. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to the one untimely born, he appeared also to me, the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. So he starts these lines of reasoning. He gives us evidence that you have to wrestle with, an overwhelming burden of proof. Thousands of people watched him murdered, crucified, the innocent. The Roman government washed their hands of him, said, we find no fault with him. You ever get nervous when a cop's behind you and you're like, oh man, uh, I think I'm doing something wrong right now, right? Like, I don't, I don't know, right? Like, I know if you follow me around, I'm going to end up in trouble, right? <laughs> like, like, and the Roman government, the most wicked government said, we find no fault with him. Get nervous filling out your taxes, right? Right? Not that you want. I just I, I assume I'm, I'm going to mess up, right? And yet they find no fault. And the innocent man is tried, convicted, and crucified in front of thousands of people. He's stripped. He's naked in front of the entire city. Lost and alone to himself. His, his followers have abandoned him. There's John taking care of Jesus' mother and a few of the ladies who were there bravely witnessing the crucifixion of Jesus. And he says, listen, everyone saw him. And then they buried him in a tomb. They put Marines out in front of them. I'm not sure why they do this. They know they're up to tricky business. They're claiming of resurrection. But even the disciples didn't fully understand what was going on. Jesus would say, I'm, I'm going to lay down my life. I'm going to get, I'm going to suffer and die. And in three days, I'm going to pick my life up again. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. That's cool. Right. And then Friday they flee scared, confused about what's going on. They lay him in a borrowed tomb because he's only going to need it for the weekend, right? <laughs> they, they put him in a borrowed tomb and they seal it. And they put Marines in front of it. And then on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday morning, that first Easter, the ladies were going back because they weren't able to prepare the body because it was sundown and they don't work once the Sabbath has started on Friday when, when he breathes his last breath and says it is finished. They take his body and they've not been able to prepare it and they feel, they feel lost, they feel ashamed that they, they weren't able to do this for their leader, their follower, her son. So they grab spices, the ladies, and they go back not intention of seeing the resurrected Christ, with intention of taking care of a corpse. But when they get there, the stone has been rolled away. The tomb is empty. They assume that thieves have come in the night and stolen his body, but an angel appears to them. So he's not dead. And why do you look for the living among the dead? And then Jesus appears to them. They're confused that he's a gardener. One story says they ran scared and then came back and said, wait a second. 
uh, who are you again? You're him. You're alive. They were so confused about what was happening, although Jesus had predicted it. They run back and tell the other 12. They tell Peter. They find, they find John there. They find James. They find them, and they say, listen. They're like, yeah, 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 we're trying to, we're going back to our fishing business, right? Can I just say that if the ladies in your life come to you and tell you that they saw a dead man walking, you should listen to them the first time, right? Can we just say that, right? What is it about us? And here's the beautiful thing about that piece of evidence. You know that a woman would not be considered credible, would not be considered credible in a court of law. They were not able to give testimony. So if you were making up a once upon a time in the garden, you would never, if you wanted anyone to believe it, say that women came from the tomb and were the first to see him raised from the dead. You would never say that unless it was true. You can imagine them telling the scribes to write down what happened. And, said, and then the ladies came and told us. And they say, so what? No, the ladies came and told us. They're like, you really want to put that in there? Right? Like, yeah, because that's what happened, bro. Right, I'm not making this up. Write it down. And then years later, thousands of years later, we remove from the context. It would be revolutionary to say that he appeared to them first and he turns the world upside down. When people say that, that, that Christianity uh, accentuates one gender over the other, you've never read the book, friend. Or you think it, it brings up one race over the another, you've never read the book, friend. Someone hi has hijacked the stories of Jesus. So read this book and allow the Jesus stories to change your mind and cleanse your heart so that you can see the true Jesus that's in the story. And so the ladies are there. Tell them I said hello and happy Easter. <laughs> he is risen. He is uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Thought it was mine for a second. Uh, they go to the tomb, and the, the, the tomb is empty. And even that idea, the, the, the guards have fled, Roman guards, marines. And then they want to propagate this story that fishermen overthrew marines. I mean, let's use logic here, friends. You think fishermen came and stole the body, defeated marines, moved this stone in the night and stole his body, and then took it where? The logic so then he goes on, he says, then he appeared to the 12. He appeared to James. I mean, think about James. James is the half-brother of Jesus. James is the first martyr of the Christian church. They kill him for following Jesus. How many of you have a brother? How many of you are a brother? How many of you have a boneheaded brother? How many of you could convince your brother that you're God? Right? Right? You remember, you, 
You, you remember what that was like. You're trying to get a story straight, and you're like, come on, let's get it together. She's coming in here, right? Like, like you're getting, let, let's get it. Okay, this is what happened. Like, we, we, we didn't do that. Well, you know, don't wrap me out. Don't wrap me out, right? And then she comes in, and she's like, I want to know. I want to know what happened here. It's like, uh, what, what, what was that? What's, what's, uh, what's all of this? And they're like, I don't know. Like, we, like, okay. You boys are about to get it, right? <laughs> right? And quickly, like, he did it, right? <laughs> nope, not me, him, right? Her, right? Man, man, when punishment's coming, when stuff's hitting the fan, and, 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 and you're about to get it by mom, by dad, you rat out them quick. I'm not, I'm not getting grounded for you, right? <laughs> like, I like you. I, sometimes I love you. Uh, depends on if mom's in the room or not, right? <laughs> but I'm not going down for you, right? And here's what James does. James will go to his death claiming that his brother was God. He was crucified, buried, and he saw him raised from the dead. See, and if you were making this up, you would make sure that when you were going back and telling the story and you were editing the Gospels, you would make sure that everyone was always convinced, never doubted, always knew what was going on. But that's not what you read about James. That's not what you read about the siblings of Jesus. You actually see them mocking Jesus. There's a big festival, and they look at Jesus, and they go, Hey, hey, Jesus, hey, J-Dog, uh, why don't you go to the festival and show them who you are? You know, right? You know, mom's favorite, you know. The wine runs out, and you're like, party on, right? Uh, you know, you, mom's fair. Anyways, uh, right? Like show them that bathtub trick, the walking on water, you know? Go, go to the festival and show them who you are. Jesus mocking him, ridiculing him. We'll get to that story in the book of John. See, but then his, his brother James saw his brother on trial, and he knew, yeah, I mocked him. I don't like what he says, but he's innocent. And they picked a murderer, Barabbas, to trade places with Jesus. Pilate washes his hands. He's seeing all this. What do you mean? It's my brother. I'm, I, mean, I mean, it's kind of one of those things like, I could say something about him, but you, you don't talk about my brother like that, and he's He's powerless. He sees his mom devastated to watch her son murdered. Saturday, with his mother weeping, doesn't understand. Mom, he did this to himself. He wouldn't keep his mouth shut. That's what got him killed. He kept saying this crazy stuff. Mom, you can't, you can't really believe that. That's not on us. That's on him. And then Jesus appeared to him. He said, James, I know you doubted. And I'm your brother and I love you and I've been here all along. James would see a dead man walking. And when you see a dead man walking, it will fundamentally change you. One of the strongest evidence that people can't logically understand is if, if this was all made up, if this was a story, then there's no way that James, once it was going to mean his life, would not give him up. Hey, you know, my brother told me to say this. You know, he's been saying all this. 
and I just wanted to have his back. You know, he told me to tell you guys that he raised and we, the others hid his body. Men, I mean, I, I wanted to help my brother out, but I'm not going to die for him. I'm not, I'm not going to propagate this lie, this fairy tale. See, that's not what happened. What happened was the half-brother of Jesus, James, who was a denier, was a doubter, saw the risen Lord, and he worshiped him as God. And he would go on to give his life as the first martyr for the church. That's crazy. That's evidence. That's a burden of proof. And then he's going to say in this that he appeared to me, Paul, someone who is persecuting the church. He goes from persecutor to gospel preacher. See, one of the strongest evidences is life change. Life change like what you heard from LP this morning. Life change when you see someone, man, you look different. Man, you were like the walking dead. But now you seem like you're alive. And people who say, man, I was just merely existing. Now I'm fully alive. There's something different about you. And you may even see that. Paul says, listen, not only was I just a dead man walking, he says, I murdered Christians. I didn't believe it. I thought they were hijacking my father's faith. And I had to put an end to it. And then I saw the risen Lord and it changed me. See, people don't fundamentally change. People don't cross the aisle in politics, the extreme, one extreme to the other, maybe in the middle, but not on the ends. People don't change unless something changes them. The burden of proof, the burden of proof that you have to wrestle with that goes into the category, is he a liar? I mean, here's the reality. If you say you're a fan of Jesus and he's just a good teacher, then what are you thinking if he's lying? If Jesus says, I am the door, I'm the way to the Father, and no man comes to the Father except through me, and he's lying, and he knows it, he's not good. You can't be a fan. Now he's deceived people. He's caused them to go to their deaths for him. Now billions of people have followed him over thousands of years. He's a con artist. He's wicked on the same level as Satan himself. If he was lying and he knew it, if he put himself on the same category as God when they asked him, people say you claim to be the Christ. And he says, I am. He actually echoes the words from the burning bush to say that he is Yahweh in the flesh. If he's lying, he deserves to die. And that's why they killed him. So you can't call him good teacher. You can't put him in all these other categories and say you're a fan if he's a liar. Or maybe he was just crazy. Maybe he's a lunatic. C.S. Lewis says maybe he's a lunatic on the same level as someone who claims to be a poached egg. Right? He's lost. This guy's off his rocker. Right? Like, there he goes. James is like, Ma, Jesus is out doing that again. Right? Who let him out this time? Right? He's crazy. Right? People are starting to follow him. 
Like he's feeding 5,000 people with a lunchable lunchbox, right? I don't know. Somebody said he was surfing without a surfboard. (laughs) Right? He's crazy, right? How could a crazy person get billions of people and even his brother to die for him claiming that he's God? So he's either a liar, he's either lunatic, or you have to wrestle with, is he indeed Lord? Is he king? And was the crucifixion his inauguration? And the empty tomb his validation? You have to wrestle with the text. You have to wrestle with the story. The Bible says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. My job is to tell Jesus stories that you may believe and not just appeal to your head, but try to speak to your heart because there's an overwhelming burden of proof that Jesus lived, he died, and he rose again. But John doesn't write the way Paul does in 1 Corinthians 15. He tries to tell you what he did. Not just the evidence for the resurrection, what he actually accomplished. When Jesus said, it is finished, what did he actually do? How many of you uh, know what these are? What are these? What are these called? Trading cards, man. I grew up calling them baseball cards, even though there were basketball players on them, you know? Uh, How many did that, right? And I had Michael Jordan baseball cards, not, not when he was wearing 45 and he actually played baseball. I mean, I had Michael Jordan trading cards. And uh, how many of you know who Michael Jordan is? Am I in the right room? Uh, LeBron James, sit down, son. Uh, I had Michael Jordan baseball cards. And I was about eight or nine and I had whole albums full. I had like two pages of just Michael Jordan and then Magic Johnson and Larry Bird. And I had all these. And one day I was hanging out with the neighbor's kids and there were teenage boys that lived up the street. And we were there trading baseball cards. and I didn't quite know what I had. And these, these boys tricked me into trading Michael Jordan baseball, basketball cards for nobodies. Have you ever heard of Mike Bell? <laughs> like, that's my cousin. Sit down, right? <laughs> Mike Bell. Like, they, they convinced me, like, all kind of, like, literally, they took all my cards, all my Magic Johnson, all my Larry Bird, I didn't know to my dad later, and so like, Sam, what have you done? My dad was like, you traded, you traded everything for nothing. See, that's the story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is that in Genesis, God gave man everything. See, Eden is unadulterated pleasure. Adam and Eve together, naked and unashamed, no count calories, right? That's the only way you can be naked and unashamed, right? Right? Eden, unadulterated pleasure. And then this snake slithers up and tricks them into taking everything 
See, the story of the Bible opens with God made it and it was good. And it was good. And it was good. And it was good. What is it about man that has what is good but longs to know that which is evil? That's the story of the Bible. And you know people like it. You've been that person. This is good. Why do I keep going to that? Why do I keep drifting back to that? I know what to do, but man, it, Paul, Paul says it this way, is that the thing that I want to do, that's not what I do. The thing that I hate, that's what I do. Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, man had life and they traded life for death. And then comes Jesus. Jesus comes and he is the embodiment of life. He's God in the flesh. And the story starts with the tree of life. And then in the gospels, we see the cross, the tree of life. We see a place where criminals were hung and killed and punished. The story of the Bible is that Jesus came and he traded places with you. He redeemed what the enemy stole. When they traded life, he started from that day forward in the garden. He said the seed of the woman will give birth to a son. And he said to the Satan, Oh, you'll bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. And then the cross, the place where we see Jesus trading his life. He takes our sin and it was poured out on him. The Bible says that Jesus condemned sin in the flesh. He took on our sin into his life. And he put to death, death. And he offers us life. Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. Theologians call this double imputation. Meaning that we've imputed to him our sinfulness. All the wrongdoings of, of the past, present, and the future. We give on to him. He took it. He absorbed it. And he defeated it. And he imputes to us his righteousness. So that in a court of law, we don't just stand not guilty because there's not enough evidence to convict us. You know good and well, there's enough evidence to convict you if the God of the universe sees everything. But yet what he gives us is not just a not guilty verdict. He gives us a verdict of washed white as snow, innocent with the righteousness of Christ. It's not that we're just not guilty. We are innocent, bought for by the blood of the lamb, washed white as snow, free to live as innocent sinners, saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And this is not a fair exchange. What I deserved was death, and what he gave me was life. He traded, and it's a scandal because the values, just like the, the trading of the cards, that's scandalous. 
Man, that's not fair. No, that's called grace. Unmerited, undeserved favor with God. You don't have enough to buy or earn it. It is a free gift that was paid for you on the cross of Jesus Christ. See, oftentimes at Easter, what happens is we focus on the empty tomb. And we forget the whole reason that we celebrate the empty tomb is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That's why the symbol for Christianity is not the empty tomb, but the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, maybe you go, Pastor, that's a, that's a sweet idea. That's a great story. But that didn't really happen. Let me give you some evidence to suggest that Jesus actually traded places and he actually traded death and gave us life. Let me give you some evidence to suggest that Jesus actually, through his cross, turned the world upside down to never, ever be the same again. Anybody know what this is? And on the front of this, is the symbol for a Roman execution. And now when you're hurt, you run for it. Now when you're in pain, now when you need healing, you look for things that have a cross on it. If you're at the beach and you're in the riptide and you're in trouble, you would hope that the stand that has a cross on it would send someone to save you. The fact that this means help is crazy this is crazy we're removed from the story for thousands of years this was a symbol of Roman execution and torture this is where millions were hung millions Nero would line the streets with crosses warning any Christian who comes into Rome, that their fate would be the same. And yet now, now it's on our first aid kit. Now it's a lifeguard stand. I told my son this story. He said, Dad, you know that's the old school symbol for a hospital? He's like looking at emojis, you know? Man, how is it that the people on the front lines, the medics who would run in to help fallen soldiers, why would they wear a cross? Unless Jesus actually traded death and gave us life. He actually took pain and gives us healing. He actually took our bad and he exchanges it for his good. But you have to wrestle with that. Is he a liar? Is he lunatic? Or is he actually Lord? And if he is, then that changes everything. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? With every head bowed, with every eye closed, I want to help you. Maybe today you say, Pastor Sam, I've, I've known about Jesus with my head, but something's going on in my heart. I feel cut to the quick. My heart is on fire. See, when you tell Jesus stories, the Bible says our spirit bears witness with God's spirit that we're a child of God. He's wooing you to come home. He's wooing you.
to trust Him and believe. These stories are that you may believe, not just know in your head, but believe in your heart because it causes you to confess with your mouth and that will change how you think about why you're here and what you're doing and where this whole thing is going. If that's you today, you say, Pastor Sam, I want to follow this Jesus. I want to make Him Lord of my life. I want to help you say a prayer to get started. This prayer isn't magical, but it can be powerful if you put your faith in it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word of God is the person of Jesus. If you're here today and you wanna make him Lord of your life, I wanna help you with that. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you to the front. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up. I'm not even gonna ask you to lift your hand. Here's what I am gonna ask you so I know who to pray for because I wanna help you I want to love you well. If that's you today, with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you want to make a decision to make Jesus your Lord, here's what I want you to do. I want you to look at me and make eye contact with me. Thank you. 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 I want to help you say this prayer, friend. Will you say this with me in church? Help us out. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. You're a good Savior. You died for me so I can live for you. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Tell me what to do. I love you, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for every person who said that prayer. I thank you for every person who made eye contact with me. This I thank you that you'd help them take their next step and tell someone boldly, someone that knows them, someone who can help them and walk alongside them. They don't need a pastor. They need a friend in their lives to walk hand in hand with one another. Help them to tell somebody. Help them to follow you, Jesus. Help them to trust, not just with their head, but with their heart that changes who they are and where they're going. Let your word and your life illuminate. Let them be a beacon of hope so the world can see their good works and glorify God who is in heaven. And we thank you and we praise you for everything you're doing and yet to do for your glory the good of this valley and everyone said amen Amen. will you give Jesus one more hand clap of praise